So welcome to the Love Fly podcast. It's Paul Tizard here. I am the host of this podcast and I've been a fear of flying coach now for approximately 25 years. So welcome. And today I'm going to be talking to myself because I thought I would talk to you a little bit about head work, which if you're familiar with the Change Burger from episode 69, you will know what I'm talking about. But if not, it doesn't matter because I'm going to talk a little bit more about thoughts, but I'm just going to put a different spin on it. So welcome. One of the things I want to talk about is just get you thinking about thoughts and you might want to make some notes of this. I'm going to run through some patterns that this is very much in the sort of helpful and unhelpful thought process area because quite often when you look at this it's quite easy to just sort of get stuck on all the different cognitive behavioural therapy techniques and say well you know there's 15, there's 20 different unhelpful thinking patterns but the reality is it doesn't really matter whether you can name them it's actually about whether it's helpful or unhelpful so before we get into that let's just sort of look at it why we perhaps do that type of thing where we have our brain throws up all this stuff that may or may not be useful to us it it feels like our brain is almost working against us sometimes I don't know if you can relate to that but if you look at it logically, our brain is a, a don't get eaten machine. So it has evolved over thousands and thousands and thousands of years and to be able to keep us alive. And that's it's one of its f- purposes. And there's lots of ways that you can complicate this by talking about all the different things that go on. And I could start talking about the amygdala, you know, some people call it the danger radar and all the rest of it, which all that stuff is great. But it can get very, very confusing once you start talking about that. And the reality is that you arrive with your brain and what we've been trying to do as humans for the last hundreds and hundreds of years, probably longer, is to reverse engineer how does my brain actually work. And so over the last, so particularly the last 15 years, I'd say that there's been some significant changes in what we understand about the brain. But still, there's a lot we don't understand. So I'm going to stop there. I was going to say let's just keep it really basic your brain is there and it's evolved to keep you alive and most of the stuff that it does is automatic and one of those things about keeping alive so if you think about it really logically and i know i talk about this in the book as well that automatically you're going to be fearful of things you don't understand or you're not sure of so you think there's a really good evolutionary benefit to this So to be slightly anxious about stuff, things that are happening that you don't understand, has kept us alive as a race. So you can see you're kind of wired to do this type of stuff. And therefore, it's unlikely in our lifetimes that we're going to turn that thing off. You know, it's just that's the way we're wired. It's just that's just the way it is. Not much you can do about it. So what can be done is actually to think about how do I live with that? What's the what's the trick? How do I actually how do I actually make the most of this 
bit of software, this bit of kit that I've got that I don't really know how it understand. I don't really understand how it works. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. But what do I do about this? I've got these thoughts going on. So we're just going to be looking at what I'd say head work. And I'm, I thought we would go through a bunch of unhelpful thought patterns. I have blogged about these, but I just thought it'd be quite nice to bring it to life a bit with some examples. Now, the idea behind the change burger, so a burger you eat from the outside in, don't you? So if you eat a burger, you have, there's a bun on the top and then there's some sort of filling in the middle, whatever that is, whether it's meat or vegan or whatever you've got, but it's a filling. And if the filling represents the desired outcome, where you want to get to, how you want to feel, then if we only look at that bit in the middle and just say, I want to feel safe, I want to feel confident, I want to love flying and all the rest of it, that's of course possible, but it might take a little bit longer. And what if you don't feel safe and you don't feel comfortable? And what if you don't love flying? Then what? Do you just give up? Well, clearly not. So the outside in approach, same way you'd eat a burger, is that as you munch into a burger, you're going in from the outside, but it's all connected. So eventually it's all going to end up in the same place. And that's the way to look at this. So the top bun represents head stuff, head work. And the bottom bun represents your body. So what do you physically do? So would you have a fear or when you are doing something that you're worried about, not only do you have the thoughts, the feelings, but also your body will react in a certain way. So in, in the book, I often talk about acting as if, you know, so moving your body in a way which as if you were relaxed, because if you move it in a way which is when you're fearful, all you're doing is triggering those automatic behaviours, thoughts, feelings that you know all too well. So that's just a quick sort of dip into the body part. So we're just sticking with the head work. And one of the models that's quite often useful, and quite a few of the podcasts have talked about this, is using some sort of cognitive restructuring technique. So there's lots of names for these different things out there. But let's just say we're going to look at your thoughts. And it's not about controlling them because you can't. They come in, they go out, there's millions of them just bombing around your head all the time. Like I say, like an internal chatterbox. So the thought of actually controlling them is not probably helpful. So if we just classify them and start to notice them, we might, if we're lucky, be able to spot helpful and unhelpful thoughts. And these thoughts tend to be triggered by things. So we call it the Sometimes people call it the ABC model, where you have an activating event, so something that happens. So, for example, I often give the thing like you have a bing bong in the aircraft, and if you don't know what that means, then your beliefs about what that could be. So, bing bong could mean, you know, certain death. It's a secret message from the pilots to the crew. That's it. Uh, you know, so I'm being a bit light-hearted here, but if you believe that to be true, because you don't know any different, then the consequences, uh, how you felt and what you did, would obviously be very logical to what you believe is actually happening to you. So there's obviously something going on here that we could perhaps interrupt, and we'll get on to that. So you might want to just pause for a moment and think about what the activating events might be for you, you know, when you're on board an aircraft, or maybe it's just the thought of even booking a flight or walking to the airport, seeing uh, aircraft flying overhead, 
Um, there's all sorts of things that could be your activators. And, and the reason I say that is because people just say it just comes upon me or it just happens or uh, I just don't like flying or I just know I won't be safe or I just, you know, I always feel claustrophobic. And see, these things sound like they're kind of automatic. So they call them negative automatic thoughts. But actually, we can become conscious of them, even if we can't control them. We can start to notice the things that we're doing. And I often say this to people who say to me, oh, I'm claustrophobic. And I say, how do you know when to be claustrophobic? And they'll look at me like, well, that's what a stupid question that is. Well, but it's not the same for everybody. So there must it's an individual thing. And all the research time and time again is suggesting this, that fear, your fear is completely individual to you. It has its own design, its own makeup. You've created it through you know events outside your control things that have just this happened it's just started some of you know exactly why it started others it's just crept on you crept up on you like a big surprise thanks very much and but here it is it's it's going on it's cracking off in your head you've got these things in your thoughts going around you think oh my goodness what's all this about where are these come from but they, there is a process, but it's just we sometimes have to sort of slow ourselves down a bit and just start to notice and be curious. How do I know when to be scared? I know that sounds like a really weird question, but how do I know when to be scared? Oh, I just I just am. It's not good enough because whenever we so if I'm thinking about my world, I'm not scared of flying, you know, would you be pleased to know? But I have had to overcome other things and, you know, standing up in front of people and speaking which i do now and i love it was not always the way and i'm aware that when i go and do something which is new that i have to overcome these fears i feel them almost gripping me like almost like a wall to walk through and it's almost it's almost stopped me and occasionally i have not done stuff and thought I know if I'm honest with myself that there was some fear thing going on there, but I've justified it and rationalised it away, which we do, don't we, as humans? Yeah, well, I wasn't just in the mood, you know, I didn't, want, didn't really want to do it today. Why do I need to do that type of thing? I'm happy as I am. And people have said that to me as well. They'll rationalise fear away and say, well, I don't really need to. We weren't made to fly, were we? I mean, look at it, you know, if I was meant to fly I'd be a bird and if I had a dollar for every time someone said that I'd have about seven dollars so not much and one of the things I'll say about this is that actually it's really easy to talk ourselves into and out of anything that's the great thing as a human but quite often we'll be aware that we know that you know, that was probably a fear response and I've just let it run right in my head so we just want to slow it down a bit and kind of notice what am I doing is it helpful? Do I want to keep doing that? So we don't always know what the triggers are. We don't always know kind of how to stop it. But we can. So this thing now is just a chance to look at something called thinking traps. And these are undermine what we want to achieve. They're normally quite brief. They are usually negative. And mostly they're outside of our awareness. There's a whole bunch of them I go through. So I've got 12 that I'm going to talk through now. And I'll try and give some examples that are related 
to fear of flying uh, as best I can but I'd just like you to listen for a moment so if you are if you're not driving or anything you could write 1 to 12 and then you can just sort of notice do you do any of these and then we'll talk about some ideas around what you can do about that some simple ideas because you can't turn these things off by the way but you can do a couple of other things which people have told me have been helpful so let's get going so the first one no surprise is called catastrophizing this is when we imagine the worst possible thing is about to happen and we predict that we won't be able to cope with the outcome uh, the imagined worst case scenario usually never happens and even if it did we'd most likely to cope with it and we're this is like you know imagining the worst you know i don't need to fill this one in for you but running a movie in your head imagining the completely the worst case scenario ever that's what catastrophizing is so you're not just on a flight and it's not going to go well it'd be horrendous turbulence and it's just going to be like throwing us around and i won't be able to cope uh, so you know that's catastrophizing you, know, you really take it to the nth degree so we there is a one that's a bit similar to this so i'll try not to sort of like creep into that one but it's like imagining the worst is going to happen and that we've got the least resources to deal with it that would be what catastrophizing is and one of the things i used to say about this catastrophizing is a bit like uh, excuse this is an old joke so have you heard it before but you know you've got glass half full glass half empty catastrophizing is why are we talking about a glass because somebody's probably stolen it anyway that's catastrophizing the worst possible thinking <laughs> so all or nothing thinking this is when we look at situations in terms of extremes things are either good or bad a success or a failure but in reality most events call for a more moderate explanation for example failing keeps your diet does not mean you have failed you've had a small setback so you i bet a lot of you can relate to this one anything less than perfect is a failure so people who've been on the 30-day program i've run or have done the webinar or have been listening to the podcast they get on a flight and they say do you know what i haven't flown for 20 years i got on the flight and then i i cried on takeoff i just feel like it's all gone backwards and i say well that's unfortunately an example of all or nothing thinking you know you there's no way you're going to be perfect straight away because beating a fear is a process and it's little by little by little you know so don't beat yourselves up that's what i want to say you it's okay not to be perfect give yourself permission not to be perfect you know so you, i always say with beating a fear of flying that you'll go three steps forward two steps back sometimes and that's just all okay so that's that's what that one so all or nothing thinking is that one so anything less than perfect means i'm a failure you're not but that's the thinking trap next one fortune telling being able to predict the future i just know i won't be able to cope i know i'll mess up i'll never be able to manage my anxiety now you don't know that but you're predicting the future and this is what the fortune telling is so it's being able to predict that things will just turn out badly and the reality is we can't predict the future can we but that is fortune telling next 
mind reading. This trap happens when we believe that we know what others are thinking and we are assuming that they are thinking something that isn't possible. You know, so uh, I know that the cabin crew thought I was stupid because, um, you know, I was a bit upset or they all can tell that I wasn't okay and they were all thinking I was a failure or I was just like a fool for not being sort of braver. Now, you may be right, you might be right, but you might not be. So it's about what's more helpful to think of. Is that absolutely, can you absolutely guarantee that that's what they're thinking or doing or knowing? No, you can't. Next, I love this one, right, by the way, overgeneralization. This is when we use words like the following, always, never, etc to describe situational events i'll give you a few more in a sec this type of thinking is not helpful because it does not take all situations or events into account so for example so whenever you find yourself i always i never everyone no one everything nothing i always have bad flights i'll never be a happy flyer No one can help me. Everything goes wrong on my flights. Nothing can be done. So these words, so if I was listening to you as a coach, I'd be, going, I'd be playing these back in a sort of an annoying way, in sort of tilting my head like coaches do. Really? Always? Well, never? You've got to do it like that, in that annoying voice. Because what you're trying to do is reflect back. Is that true? What, you, you'll always be a nervous flyer? Were you born a nervous flyer? No. So you can't always be a nervous flyer if you weren't born one, were you? But I know it's really smug and easy to say that. And it's not. this is not about that. This is about you being able to notice what am I doing? What are my automatic patterns that I'm doing? Because once you notice it, it loses its power. So that was overgeneralization. Some of these overlap a little bit, but, you know, it is what it is. Labeling. This is when we talk to ourselves in really mean ways. Uh, we use a negative terms to describe ourselves. I'm stupid, I'm a loser, I've failed, I'm rubbish, I'm, I just, I'm just so bad, I'm just so rubbish, I'm a terrible person, I've really let everyone else down. I've let myself down. So quite often if you, if you were to pause and listen to your own thoughts, if you had a friend that spoke to you the way you speak to yourself in your head, they would not be a friend. You'd drop them. You'd ghost them. Do you know what I mean? But the way we talk to ourselves sometimes and the way we'll describe ourselves, I'm so, so stupid. I'm such, I'm such an idiot. Is it helpful? So that's labelling. But like I said, if you, spoke, if you had a friend that spoke to you like that, they would not be a friend. Be gone. Um, this is next one's called demands and I, I, this is an interesting one because I do hear this sometimes but it's very hard to, to notice this so this is when you tell yourself that you should must or ought to feel or behave in a certain way so that the result is that you're constantly anxious and disappointed with yourself and or with others around you I should never feel anxious I must control my feelings 
So whenever you use must, should, have to, need to, these thoughts are where we're actually holding ourselves up and saying, I'm making a demand of myself. And they have to ask, is that reasonable? So I, I should be over this fear by now. I must be okay when I fly. And what this does is it puts us under massive pressure. And so we have to sort of look at that and say, is that helpful? Now, this one is a little bit like catastrophizing, but it has its own separate category, which is called magnifying versus minimizing. So magnifying on the negatives in the situation and minimizing the positive rather than seeing a balanced whole picture. So I went on a flight. It was awful. And it just, you know, oh, just I didn't do well. But then when you actually think about it, and quite often we have to do this later because at the time you might say, well, do you know what? I actually I was all right for the takeoff and the landing and normally I'd be really upset. And most of the crews, I was fine. So it's that uh, we get a little bit of a distorted picture about ourselves. So, that, so that's that's what happens. So maybe you recognise that you've done that or could be prone to that one. By the way, we're all prone to these, all of these thinking traps all of us are prone to and it's not just about fearful flies these are just general mostly we don't notice these but the critical thing is and i'll keep coming back to this is noticing even if you start to notice a couple of them then you can kind of go oh i'm doing that thing again and it takes its power away And this again, there's a slight overlap. This one's called tunnel vision. So this one happens when we only pay attention to the bad things that happen, but ignore, ignore all the good things. So it helps us, it prevents us actually from looking at all the aspects of a situation and drawing a more sort of balanced conclusion. So it could be like, you know, in my world, if I did a presentation and it actually went fine, but I remember there was one person that scowled throughout it that's what I focused in on and I don't see anything else and so I start to see that nobody else has uh, enjoyed it and it's a bit like you know when I do a presentation if you get some feedback forms and 99 people said they enjoyed it and one said they hated it or hated you and I'll never come back you know which one would you dwell on and that's tunnel vision so it's a completely normal thing not helpful but normal Uh, this one I don't know how to apply to fear of flying, but I'll give it a go. So it's called personalization. So it's when you're literally taking things personally, so assuming responsibility when it's not yours. So maybe this will be, uh, perhaps this is the one which I describe as stand-in pilot, you know, when you're on board an aircraft and you're there, your job's to concentrate and keep it in the air. Do you remember that one from the book? It's a bit like that, I think, where you, you know, you're you're on duty just in case the pilot needs you, you know, in case he or she's got a bit of a tough spot. Pop out into the cabin and say, Carol, uh, couldn't help us, could you? Uh, I know you're in charge of keeping the aircraft in the air today. Any tips, any sort of, uh, you know, anything you'd like to offer? Uh, of course, I'm joking. And hopefully, you know, by now that I uh, I use humour because I think that you are normal people. You are normal. You just have got into some unhelpful habits like we all do in different ways. So that's why I'm taking the mick a bit, but I mean it with heart. 
honest. Uh, but yes, and maybe that's an example of personalization. So a bit like standing pilot, that is your responsibility. And, uh, and perhaps when things don't go well, it, it's all down to you. Maybe it's that one. I'm not so sure on this one. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not convinced that I can make a, a strong link here for fear of flying, but I've done my best. Um, externalization. So you focus on, ah, I get it now. This is the opposite. So now I actually remembered this. So personalization is what you take responsibility for everything. Everything's your fault, you know, so the everyone was upset with your family when you flew, the, the flight was bad because you know everything was bad the whole holiday it was all your fault okay externalization is the exact opposite so it's when we blame everything on everybody else well you know i wouldn't have had a fear of flying if it wasn't for my parents they passed it on to me thanks very much what a gift um where you can't tech can't see that anything happened so the you know the the ground staff were really rude to me they made me angry the cabin crew were extremely unhelpful and that's why i got nervous well, that's putting all the power with them. That's what externalization is. So is that reasonable to put it all with everybody else? Or is it possible that some of that's yours as well, but not all of it? So I love this one, actually. This is the last one. This is called Emotional Reasoning, which I don't think is a great name for it, but I'll describe it as it's written. So emotional reasoning is a cognitive process by which a person concludes that his or her emotional reaction proves something is true, regardless of the observed evidence. It's a bit like, I feel, therefore it is. I feel bad, therefore it is bad. I feel scared, therefore this is a bad situation. Uh, I feel sick and shaky, therefore I'm about to have a panic attack. I feel unsafe. I feel scared, therefore it is a scary situation. So we're taking one set of things and then naturally moving on. So people will say this to me, it's, a, it's not really covered by this, but the physiological stuff. So sometimes if you're particularly motion sensitive, You'll take that as a sign of it being meaning something more than it is. If you if your stomach feels a bit unsettled or you've you've noticed, noticed you get a little bit of butterflies when you fly, you might interpret that as meaning something else that actually that your your gut instinct is telling you and you're in danger. So it's it could be linked to that as well. So those are the 12. So just think for a moment. Hopefully I went through those and gave you enough of a description that you can perhaps identify yourself. And what I want to say straight away, whilst you're sort of like thinking, oh, well, I've ticked all 12, is that you are normal, okay? We all do all of these at different times. Because it's not just nervous flyers that get the privilege of doing these thinking traps. We all do them. I just wanted to show you that actually it's okay. You know, these are normal things. But if we just pull back a bit from this, we can actually then start to challenge these and thinking this, um, these thoughts I'm having, are they helpful or unhelpful? So one of the things that quite often people do is use a few of these techniques. So I'm going to read out some questions. That, please write these down and think about this. These are, this is called disputing, okay? And the thing I want, well, I'll come back to, the, I'll conclude in a second, but these are called 
thinking traps and they are completely normal. We all do all of these, but what we're going to do is a technique called disputing. So it's a little bit like the ABC that I did before. So A is the activating event. B is the beliefs about it. C is the consequential behaviours that you would have logically. So D is for disputing. So asking yourself a question, I'll give you the questions now. All right. And then E is effective outlook. So this has come from REBT, which sounds like a Rita Franklin song, not meant to. Uh, Rational Emotive Behaviour Therapy. And this just takes it on a little bit further and just says, actually, you can dispute these things. You can stop yourself. So some people will talk about just noticing. Oh, I've noticed I've done that thing again. I've noticed I'm overgeneralizing again. I've done that thing again. And that is enough for some people just to notice it. But for others, you might want to do something a bit more active. Now, you can't change. You can't stop those thoughts. But you can do something different with them. Because remember, as I've always said, thoughts are not facts, are they? Thoughts are not facts. They are electrical impulses in your head moving around at a rate of knots. Okay, they're not facts unless you decide they are. So disputing goes like this. Remember the A, B, C, D, E? A, activating event. B, beliefs. C, consequence. D, disputing. E, effective outlook. So here's some disputing questions. What are the chances that that will actually happen? What is the worst that can happen and how likely is that? Am I right to think that, weighing up the evidence, that this is true? So what evidence do I have that this is true? What evidence do I have that I'm in peril? I've heard the bing bongs, I don't like it. I'm looking around now to try and find evidence to support what I think is true, that this is actually a bad thing. The cabin crew are rushing past because they've just run out of chicken and beef. Uh, but what evidence do I actually have that I'm in any peril? And what is this costing me and is it worth it? I love that one. What is this fear costing me and is it worth it? I really like that question actually. So what are the chances that this will happen? What's the worst that can happen if it's true? Am I right to think that, you know, weighing up the evidence? What evidence do I have? And what is this costing me and is it worth it? So sometimes when we look at these thinking traps, it might be just a case of interrogating them. Why am I doing that? And be curious. Um, to be able to do this, it helps you to problem solve and you might think well, what would be a more helpful way to think about this so just because I feel uncomfortable does that mean I'm uncomfortable because these thinking errors are common and I call them thinking traps because we all do them so the key thing is awareness and monitoring noticing I've noticed I'm doing that thing again and if you do notice them you will notice that because it's like the change burger everything affects everything else Thoughts affect feelings, affect your body. Your body affects your feelings, affects your thoughts. They're all affected. It's one same system. So 
there may be some truth sometimes in the interpretation, so I don't feel very comfortable what's going on. Um, but quite often it might not be the case. And so just noticing and being curious, what am I doing and how helpful for the, is this for me? And being able to do that, being curious, means that then we can be, keeps us in our rational part of our brain and rather the scared primeval part, which doesn't know. That bit that we always had as since we've been cave people. So when cave people would look up and see things that he, she, prefer not to say, didn't understand, they would have been scared. Would have been scared of the dark. Because in the dark is scary stuff. So we learn to grow out of it as we get older. But it doesn't mean we're comfortable. I mean, you only have to walk down a dark alley at night and you'll notice the hairs go up on the back of your neck. You become hyper alert. So even though you might be saying, yes, I'm fine, and you whistle loudly to show you're a brave person. But part of your brain is very activated and alert. These are primeval things. They're just, you can't turn them off. So noticing what we're doing and just sort of going, that's just, that's a part of my brain trying to keep me safe. Thanks very much, brain, but I've got this. Just being able to notice these things is massively, massively helpful. I just managed to knock a big glass of water all over myself as I was accentuating my point, which all of it is wasted because it's on a podcast anyway. So I'm completely soaked right now, but not that you care. And it's a sign. It's a sign. No, it's not a sign. It's just soaked. I'm just soaked. It's just water. I'll be okay. I don't know what I'm going to do about the floor because water is such a pain on carpet, isn't it? I suppose I should stop the podcast and soak up the water. I'm hoping that's been helpful. I hope that by going through those things that you can start to notice your own patterns and that you are, in fact, normal and if you need any further help, remember we've got the Love Fly Facebook group, if you're not in that already. The, there's things that you can do, practical things you can invest in. We don't, most of the stuff you can get from the podcast, a lot of people I've been speaking to recently have just been able to fly much better just by listening to the podcast. But if you need, need a little bit more help, we do have the 30-day programme and the on-demand webinar, which are on the website, lovefly.co.uk, should you need them. That's just for information's sake anyway. But like I say, most people get what they need from the podcast, which is fantastic and very rewarding for all of us at Lovefly. So thanks ever so much for listening. And I look forward to talking to you next week. Until then, take care.